Gabriel does not care what you've got coming up, but seems to think that you should know what he's up to. April 29th, he will be performing at both the House of Blues and South Point Casino in Las Vegas. April 30th, he is in Bellingham, Washington. May 6th, Willamu, Oregon. May 7th, Newport, Oregon. There's a bunch of other shit after that. For all of Gabriel's show dates and ticket links, go to gabrielrutledge.com. Or don't. If you would like to support this podcast by subscribing for $5 a month, click the Substack link in the episode notes. You won't get any extra episodes, but Gabriel will think warm thoughts about you. And now it's time for the drive home with Gabriel Rutledge. Play the royalty-free hip-hop music. Now here's your host, Gabriel. OMG! I got my first AARP magazine. Yep. I might be old, but I'm young for an AARP member. Yeah, this podcast is still unofficially sponsored by AARP. Let me get up out of the rocking chair. I got my first AARP magazine. Who's on the cover? Liam Neeson. Yeah. That's how cool AARP is. I have a very particular set of skills, and they are diminishing because of my age. No matter where you are, I will find you, unless my GPS breaks and then I will not find you. AARP offers 10% off of Denny's. I may not be able to find you, but you can find me. Join 10% off of my Grand Slam breakfast. I get like all kinds of targeted AARP ads now on Facebook specifically. And uh, the comments are hilarious on the ads because it's just AARP saying, hey, sign up, be a member. But I guess, you know, it's a lot of old people leaving comments. So you'll see comments that'll just be like, Gary, this is the thing I was telling you about, but no one's tagged. Gary is not tagged. It's just some grandma typing into the void. Gary will find this. Gary, this is the thing I was telling you about. And then I don't know if there's something I don't understand about AARP. Uh, I signed up for $12 a year. It renews at $16 a year. Which seems very reasonable to me, but there's a bunch of people who say in the comments, uh, I wish I could, but your rates went up. What were you paying for AARP? $9.99? Ah, just got done with a show in Ballard. Seattle, Washington area. Is Ballard a city? Ballard's a city. I just got back from doing a show in Ballard. At the old Peculiar. Uh, 
after uh, you do comedy for a while, you kind of you kind of walk into a place. Well, even if it's a comedy club or a theater, you kind of judge. There's times you can hear the audience hubbub. You can hear the chit chat before the show. You can sense the energy in the room. And sometimes you go, "This show's going to be great." I can feel it. And you're very rarely wrong. Now, more often, what's wrong is you listen to a crowd's chit chat. You listen to their hubbub, and you go. Ooh, don't like it. Bad vibes. This is not a good crowd. And sometimes you're wrong. Tonight I walked into the old peculiar. The opposite of the new normal. The old peculiar. And I couldn't figure it out. My vibes were confused. I de- it could be bad. Definitely it was a kind of a rowdy bar. I didn't... Alright. City of Seattle. You gotta fix your roads. Can you tax Amazon maybe like one more cent per millions of dollars and fix the road? Good lord. Just pretend there's a giant walking towards you as I podcast. Here it comes. Here it comes. I couldn't, I, I couldn't get the vibe. I couldn't get the vibe at the old Peculiar because I thought, I don't know, there is energy. Maybe too much energy. TVs are on. People are watching baseball. People are watching basketball, like, intently. And I knew they were going to turn the TVs off. And uh, I'm happy to report it was fine. It was fine. It's 420. You know? For a crowd of like over stoned people. Uh, actually, not bad. And stoned people are not a great comedy audience. You want people who can pay attention. You don't want people who are like, what? What did he say? Like every time I do a callback, they're like, oh, from before? The thing you said before, you referenced it again? Oh, man. I mean, weed's great, but it's not social. That's why I don't celebrate 420. I celebrate April 3rd. 4-3. Because Michelob Ultra has 4.3% alcohol. Okay, I have my own holiday. So the show was fine. I did 45 minutes. Uh, surprisingly, I didn't go an hour because I could have gone. He's like, do 45 plus, and I did like 48 because I just got the sense. I think uh, it was a successful show, but the attention span's about done. So let's uh, wrap it up. There may be a time in my career where someone will offer me a Wednesday night show at a bar in Ballard, Washington for $200. And I'll go, no, no thank you. I don't need to do that because I have done so many high-paying comedy clubs this month that I'm going to say no to that. I'll stay home. 
put my kids to bed. Watch TV with my wife. It's Wednesday. You think we're going to fuck? You insane? Whatever I'm going to do on a Wednesday. And part of me thinks I'm never going to actually know when that point of time is if it does come. Because I'm so designed. I'm so... I, just, you know... A shark mentality for booking comedy shows, you know? Maybe that's not the right metaphor. Booking shark, 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 shark. Booking shark, 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 shark. I'm a booking shark. But you say yes. You say yes to everything because you don't know what's coming next. And you got bills to pay. And comedy is a flimsy, fragile promise of the future where even if you have things booked, they cancel. I got something at the end of next month to cancel. Well, we, it didn't even cancel. It's just apparently not happening. Sorry, people who live in Cascade, Idaho. It's not looking good. So part of me thinks no matter what money I was making, I probably would just keep saying yes to Wednesday night gigs in Ballard. But right now, I do need to say yes to them. Don't get me wrong, I'm doing fine. This is actually one of my best months I've ever had in comedy. And to be able to say that after 2020 and 2021 also, to say that April 2022 is one of my best months ever, financially, uh, wow, that is awesome. But you know what isn't one of my best months financially? May 2022. And so I still feel like, yeah, it's, you know, do I need that money this month? Not really. Am I going to need it next month? Yes. Will it be gone by next month? Yes, but that's not how, that still counts. And not, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying I'm too good to do the old peculiar in Ballard, Washington on a Wednesday night. If I was too good to be there, you know, it would have sold out instantly. Instead, it was a free show and there was still a couple of tables open. So I'm not saying I'm too good. I am saying I might be a little overqualified. <laughs> but that's what happens. Don't get me wrong, there's lots of stuff I used to do that I don't have to do anymore. But when you're a young baby comic and you dream of someday, you're like, I don't know, you're like, someday I'm gonna do theaters and comedy clubs. And I do do those things. But you don't realize as a baby comic that part of what you're dreaming is like, someday I'll be overqualified to do a weekday bar show. But it was fun. I need the money. Anyone booking a Wednesday bar show within a few hours of my house, you're my new friend. I will do it. I don't think I ever... I 
never have the feeling I'm too good for a venue. I never have the feeling like, oh, I'm too good to do this bowling alley. or I'm using that as an example. I mean, I definitely have moments where I feel like I'm too good for a hotel room. Like, I walk into a hotel and I go, no, I'm too good for this. If I'm going to get bitten by bed bugs, I should also not be chafed by the sheet quality. I deserve better. Now, I do perform occasionally and the crowd is so terrible that I think I deserve better than this, but I never go. Wednesday night at a bar in Ballard, <laughs> I don't think so. Do you know who I am? That literally, I'm not over being overly humble. That literally never crosses my brain. I just think, okay, cool, yes. And obviously at a certain level of success, you know, you don't... You don't say yes, but uh, I'm not there yet. Even though I still, I do feel successful overall. I mean, it's comedy. I'm a professional comedian. Good lord. What do I have to bitch about? A lot, and here it goes. But I really do think, don't get me wrong, I, I bitch. I, I have plenty of complaints. But, you know. I'm literally in the joy business. I mean, you know, I was actually talking to some of the other comics tonight about that. We all start comedy for selfish reasons. No one starts comedy because of their love of their fellow man. You start comedy because you're like, I need attention. And I like how it feels when my fellow man gives me that attention. But 21 years in, I still like the attention, but I do, I'm serious when I say I'm in the joy business. I mean, that sounds like something uh, a youth pastor would say. I realize that. But, I don't know, do you ever think about that, fellow comedians listening? Do you ever think you go town to town and hopefully spread cheer? Change the trajectory of at least that evening for other people? Not that they would think about it, but, you know, when those people who are at the show at the old peculiar tonight, when they die on the ledger of their good things in life and bad things in life, my 45 minutes gets to be on the good things part? No, I'm not high. It's 420. I'm just having high thoughts. That means more to me every year, though. I mean, that's some corny-ass shit to say. But it's my podcast that I do in a Kia Rio. So I'm going to say it.
I've been in the joy business for 21 years. It's brought me a lot of pain. <laughs> but it's brought me a lot of joy too. Because guess what? When I die, that 45 minutes at the old peculiar is also on my good ledger. That's also on my good times list. And I made 250 bucks and sold four t-shirts. So, you know, it's a mutually beneficial relationship. There are people who have seen me do comedy where I have put an hour of their life into the bad time section. And for that, I'm sorry. I mean, you want to talk about times I've been nervous to do gigs? I mean, look, any contest, any showcase, any television taping. Uh, God, that's been a while. But any of those things, yes, I will get nervous. But what really makes me... I've done it three or four times, and I'm going to do it again this summer. What gig really makes me nervous is I have done some weddings. Look, you go out to a bar in Ballard on a Wednesday night, you don't like what went down, whatever. You already drink on a Wednesday, so you're used to disappointment. But whatever, you go home, watch some Netflix, live your life, go out the next day, who cares? It's forgotten. You have a bad show at a wedding? If I bomb at someone's wedding, every single person there remembers it for the rest of their life. If you're the bride and you hire a comedian who fucks up your special day, That's a responsibility I don't want. Just telling stories 20 years later where you're like, and that's the last time we saw Grandma alive. When we hired that stupid comedian who offended her. Every wedding I've done so far has been pretty good. Knock on Kia Rio steering wheel. But man, the last one I did, I was a surprise. And comedy is not a good surprise. You kind of want people to know it's happening for it to work. So the last one I did, I don't remember where it was, in Washington State, out in the woods somewhere. Beautiful little venue. But so the dad was the the dad was doing the uh what do they call it commencement no that's graduating the wedding talk i now pronounce you husband and wife all that stuff officiating the dad was the officiant and he told them he was going to do a funny speech and i guess they were nervous about it like what are you going to do dad your corny dad shit 
Hi, Dad, I'm married. Hi, married, I'm Dad. Ho, ho, ho! And so I was the surprise. He was like, oh, I was going to give a funny speech, but instead I hired this guy no one has heard of to do comedy. And then I went up there and did fine. But man, I was legit nervous. Not to mention everyone's like, who are you? How do you know the bride and groom? And I have to be like, ah, I know the groom's dad. In fact, that's what I said. Someone was like, do you know the bride or the groom? And I said, I know the groom's dad. And it was a young man, maybe an adult, but a young man. And he goes, that's my dad. How do you know my dad? And I had to be like, ah, don't worry about it. We go back. We dated in the 80s before your mom. Don't worry about it. But it went fine. And the relief I felt as I drove home from that wedding that it went fine was like, oh, God. You don't want to bomb on someone's special day. You don't want to make it special in the wrong way. When my wife and I went to marriage, Catholic marriage camp for a weekend, even though neither one of us are Catholic, one of the things they told us was a wedding is a day, a marriage is a lifetime. But what happens on that day, you do remember for a lifetime. I mean, I barely remember my vows from when I got married at age 23 in 1997. But I remember the priest hadn't done very many weddings and he fucked up and everyone stood up and he forgot to tell him to sit down. So the entire church stood for all of our vows. I remember during the dance, the first dance, Christy and I were dancing and everyone thought we looked so sweet, but we're, we were really just whispering like, this is awkward. We should have picked a shorter song while we danced. What song did we dance to? Bird, bird, bird. Bird is the word, bird, bird, bird. That's not true. That would have been fun. I remember my friend and bandmate Kelly, rest in peace. I didn't know it that day, but he, he stole spoons from the wedding. And I only know that because he left town and didn't return his tux, so I had to go to his house and pick up the tux, and I returned it. It was all clinky clanky, and there was like three spoons. I don't know why. It, they weren't burnt. He wasn't doing heroin. I don't know why he did. He probably was like, I need spoons for home. So he like stole three spoons. Uh, but I kept them. And then when he died, I stole the coffee mug from his memorial. So I could keep his spoons in it. This... It's way too sad of an episode.
half, maybe two years, trying to pretend like everything was okay just because of COVID. I mean, it was okay on a day-to-day level, but not like, it was still a time of great unease. Like, what's happening? I used to be a comedian, now I deliver groceries. What, you know, are we all going to die? Are some of us going to die? I spent so long in that state of trying to convince myself everything was going to be fine that I can't do it anymore. Not that I'm, like, super depressed, but I just mean, like, I spent two years not letting big shit bother me, or at least trying to not let the big shit bother me, and now little things get to me. Not that little things... Little things always bother. That's part of being a human, but I mean... I don't know. What is it about, like, I could watch the news and watch, like, horrific things happening in Ukraine or whatever. And I can compartmentalize that. I can go... I can go, hey, that's terrible, but life is terrible. I'm glad that's not me. I'm going to change the channel. I can do that. It does affect me, but, like, I'm pretty tough when I watch the news, I don't, I try not to take it in, but then I was on an airport shuttle coming home, uh, after I landed at SeaTac, I was taking the shuttle, uh, to where, to where I, I parked my car, and this little girl, this little asshole, I mean, it was like, It was like her personality had been written in a Hallmark Christmas movie. Or I guess a Hallmark Easter movie, because that was the right time. I'm going to say she was four. And she said in like this really excited four-year-old voice, You know what we should do? We should put a dog treat inside of a plastic Easter egg and leave it on Buster's grave. Took me a second to figure it out. But then the parents talked to... I heard, I figured it out from the parents. Their dog had died. R.I.P. Buster. Apparently they buried it somewhere. And this four-year-old girl was like, Hey, it's Easter. Let's put a dog treat in an Easter egg and put it on our dead dog's grave. Holy shit. But here's what happens to me as I fight back tears. In a... Airport shuttle. At just the sweetness of this young girl's spirit. And the sadness of her dead dog. Is my first reaction is kind of anger. Like, I got enough shit going on right now. I don't need this cute fucking girl making me feel all bad. I'm just trying to go. <laughs> I will admit that is my first reaction. I've had a lot of emotional moments in airports. I almost think that's... in the. 
airports kind of do to me what the pandemic did to all of us, meaning like it's like a not a comfortable place. You know, it's just a a place for human cattle transport under fluorescent lights. It's not a pleasant place to be. You kind of have to turn your humanity off. You're just like, I'm going to walk over here. I'm going to stand in this line. They're going to tell me to do this. I give these people my ticket. I wait for my bag. You kind of turn off your humanity to get through it. And then I think emotion sneaks through. Plus, you're tired. Another, I've had another emotional airport shuttle moment. Where it was just me and the shuttle driver. But that, it was like 5.30 in the morning. And that journey song faithfully was playing. Highway run. You know that song? There's a line that goes, They say the road ain't no place to start a family. Five in the morning. I had just gotten home from another trip, and I was home like a day and a half. And then I went back to the stupid airport, flying out, five in the morning. Journey is just hitting me. Harder than Journey should hit anyone. I'm like, the road is a tough place to start a family. Stupid airport. Stupid buster. Stupid Journey. But maybe it's good. Maybe my recent emotional... The Journey thing wasn't recent, but the little you know the buster girl I've noticed other things in my life where it's like I'm not I'm uh, I'm a little more maybe that's part of the healing that I'm becoming a fully well-rounded person again in an uncomfortable way After two years of doing, everything's fine. <laughs> everything's fine. Uh, two years of, especially the first year when I had more time and we were like, Christy and I'd be watching movies every night and it was like nothing serious. This ain't the time for Schindler's List. This is the time for that dating show where they don't get to see each other and they have to talk through a wall. Glory Hole, I think it's called. We were watching the dumbest shit possible. Because it's just, you know, you didn't want to feel. And I guess my brain right now is like, we're going to feel. It's been long enough. Dead dogs are going to get you. I was listening to my uh, daughter at her voice lesson today. She's getting ready to... Uh, uh, audition for the school play middle school play she was singing and I'm like that got to me I started tearing up listening to her sing like I don't know 
what's going on. Uh, I know men don't have a menstruation cycle, but uh, my emotional period is happening right now. This is another 420 thought from a sober guy. Well, I mean, I'm not a sober. Right now, I'm sober. In life, I am not. But Where the hell did music come from? I mean, did you ever think about it? It's just a collection of noises and vocal mutations that somehow sounds amazing. listening to my eighth grader sing and I think it sounds beautiful. I'm like, why? Why does it sound beautiful? And what makes it good? Why when Journey sings faithfully does it sound good, but when I do it sounds terrible? We're both going for the same thing. can never fully commit to being an atheist. Because I, I don't... I don't want to go... Oh, uh... Music is a byproduct of language that comes from blah blah blah, and even the mating call of some species they sing, but I don't want that. I want to go, what is singing? It's fucking magic. What is music? It's proof of something higher than our normal plane of existence. That's what I want to say. I don't care if it's true or not. And for me, that's not God. I'm not saying that, like, God made music. But I just mean, I like, I like some mystery, some magic to the universe. I like the idea of acknowledging things are happening that are bigger than we are. And I'm not a Christian or pick anything else. But I do like that idea. I like that idea of be of being humble, of being like I'm a I'm a a tiny thing and this this is all bigger than me I like the idea of praying before you eat don't get me wrong I don't and it embarrassed me quite a bit when I was a kid when we go to a restaurant on the rare occasion we went to a restaurant and my dad would be like thank you God for it I'm like oh boy oh boy hi we're that family but I do like that idea, even as an agnostic, when you sit down, even if you're not like, thank you God, or thank you universe, thank you person who grew this food, thank you person who picked the food, or killed the food, thank you person who put it on a truck, thank you person who drove the truck, thank you person at the store who brought it to a different store, who put it out, person who sold it to us, delivery driver who brought it to our house, cow that had to die, 
so I could eat this beef jerky? I like that idea. I like the idea of being a part of like a chain of gratitude to your fellow mankind. And you're right, it does sound good when I sing Journey. I'm forever yours, faithfully. Pretty bad. Pretty goddamn bad. I also think about music. Like, who was the first, like, their styles of music? The first person who did every style. Like, what a weird move. Like, you ever think about country music? I mean, I try not to, but... I mean, I have all the white hipster, former punk rocker country music thoughts. I like Willie Nelson. I like Johnny Cash. Like, that kind of shit. But who was the first person who, like, had heard singing, was aware of what music was, and then were like, I'm gonna sing like this? Were they ridiculed? Was it the first country voice? Someone was like, what the fuck are you doing? I think what I'm saying is I need to invent a new style of music. Maybe country and rap. We'll call it crap, folks. Comedy. I think I'm going to make a clean comedy album. I don't know. Sometimes I, you know, I talk about comedy a lot on this podcast, and I'm like, maybe I talk too much about comedy. But then I'm like, you know what? I watch a lot of shows about tuna fishing. And I'm not a tuna fisherman, so maybe people are interested. I don't know. Yeah, I've watched every season of a show called Wicked Tuna. I like to guess how much money per pound they're going to get. I'm getting pretty good at it. You got to have a lot of fat in the veins. You got to have a good color. It's got to be a translucent core. And if it is, you get paid very well for a giant bluefin tuna. I think I'm going to do a clean comedy album. I talked to this, uh, some people I know who started a label. They're comedians. Uh, they started a record label. I was talking to them about clean comedy. I actually think I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to do two albums. I'm going to do one that's just my next album. And then I think I'm going to tape one somewhere, sort of a greatest hits clean version Uh, and the reason is because you can make uh, pretty good money on satellite radio by having clean comedy because there's less of it and they have clean comedy channels on there and so why not why not do that you know you know what I guess I mean about When I'm talking about, uh, you know, I guess when you live your life in sort of a state of paranoid flux or you're in survival mode, and I know there's a difference between COVID survival mode and like war-torn 
I'm under attack by Russia survival mode. I understand that. I'll acknowledge all of our privilege for saying the pandemic was hard because there's things harder and someone, even in better times, someone is always having a pandemic, a personal, a personal pandemic or a personal Vietnam or a personal, you know, even if, even if the world is in a more normal state, there's still, you know, whatever. Someone has a health problem, someone's dying, they're, you know. It's, there's never a shortage of trauma uh, here on Earth. Never a shortage of anxiety. Never a shortage of struggle. But I do think this is such a unique experience collectively as a world even though every country handled it differently or didn't handle it differently or every state the same thing it's there's not there's not that many other things in life that we all went through together as billions of people and so i do think there's a there's a weird energy to the planet right now like people are like in some ways in some ways, it is that Roaring Twenties thing we were hoping, like, Pandemic's <laughs> Who was the first guy to talk like that, by the way? Yeah, see? Why are you talking like that, Bob? I don't know, see? I think it's classy. Hello, my baby! There is a little bit of that, and I, I get to experience that at comedy shows, and, like, it's like... I'm sure concerts are like that, like, oh, we miss this. We miss this communion with with each other. We miss this uh, fellowship with each other. We miss these, like, you know, a room packed full of people having the same experience. Uh, so I do think there is a little bit of that, but it's like... There's no... <laughs> There's no depression bounce back. I feel like everyone's still wobbly, as wobbly as our supply chain. And I read Anthony Bourdain's book uh, somewhat recently. Actually, I had him read it to me. I have that kind of money. Actually, my parents do because they bought me an Audible subscription for the year. So I listen to books on audio, not tape old man audio and he was describing it's actually an interesting book it's it's really the kind of it's the kind of book that made me want to write my book uh, happiness isn't funny true stories of a road comic because I like a story about I like the real story on anything like, I, I read a book called Ball Four when I was younger, and I loved it because it was the Jim Bowden, this uh, professional baseball player, and he was just talking about what really kind of goes on, what it's like to be a major league player. Uh, you know, sort of exposed some things that people weren't even talking about. I think he got, like, blacklisted for it, even. Uh, Anthony Bourdain wrote a book called Kitchen Confidential that was like, here's what the world of... New York City fine dining is like, you know, uh, 
I can't even remember, but it was some of it was like the days you should never order seafood. I think it was Monday. Never ever order seafood on a Monday. Uh, what's the difference between restaurant food and the food you make at home? Why does the restaurant always taste so different? The answer, way more butter than you're thinking. Like an insane amount of butter is the reason restaurant food is so much richer. Uh, so things like that. And also he's an interesting guy and, you know, did heroin and was cool and uh, all that other stuff. But one of the things he was talking about is, uh, and I did where I have worked in kitchens, so I identify with this a little bit, although it was not fine dining. It was uh, either pizza restaurants or a Mexican restaurant. But he's talking about the night starts out, you get your first orders in, and like you got a little pep in your step, you know what I mean? You're, you're making things with gusto, with a little flourish. When you put the plate up in the window and ding, I don't know if you ding a bell in fine dining, but when you put the plate up in the window, he called it your spinning plates, meaning, you know, the plate of food, you're kind of like, food's up, and you give it a little spin, like, you know, putting a little English on it, putting a little flair to it. But then by the end of the night, after the rush, you know, you're covered in like sauce, butter, and blood. You cut your finger. <laughs> you're just like slapping the plates up there with no flourish, with no extra energy. You're not spinning plates by 9 p.m. or whatever. You're just sticking up in the window. You're just trying to, you know, you're in the weeds, as we say in the restaurant business. You know, you have a thousand tickets up and you're just trying to get through them. And I do think that's what life is like a little bit right now. It's like, the world is not spinning plates. Some of us are. Maybe I am in comedy. But I'll be honest, my personal life could use a little more plate spinning. Nothing bad. I'm not getting divorced. The kids are all okay. I just mean, you know, I'm not spinning plates. I'm like, yeah, soccer practice. Bus is late. Take the kid to school. All right. No, okay. Yep, I can do that. Pick up my son from college, okay? He's coming. Right. You know what I mean? I'm, at, you know, I'm not. It's not that I'm depressed. I've been depressed in my life. I recognize that feeling. I'm not saying that, but I just, you know, there's a bit of a tentative feeling to life. There's a bit of what's next. There's a bit of a burnt out feeling. Like fuck, we just got through a thing, and now I want to not worry about things, but life keeps coming at you. So I'm trying. I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to like, I mean, I, you know, I've been with my wife since we were 19. I still love her. Like that's a gift, right? That's Let's spin some plates. 
let's uh, let's not take that for granted. You know, I have things happening in my comedy life. I mean, I was a, uh, the beginning of 2021. I was not a professional stand-up comedian, and now I'm like too busy, and I'm I'm gonna put out albums. I'm gonna put out a clean comedy album. I think I might call it Gabriel Rutledge Cleans Up Well. I'm talking to this label run by some comedians I know. Uh, I might do two albums with them because I just I just recorded something that might be an album, just my regular here's a bunch of new material album. So my point is, like, I have things happening. I'm like, I'm working new clubs. I'm busy. I'm doing stuff. I'm at a bar on a Wednesday night in Ballard. I just booked Kirkland on a Tuesday next month. Things are happening. I'm going to do shows in the Middle East, in Kuwait, and Jordan, and Saudi Arabia for the troops. I'm not sure which troops yet. It doesn't matter. We're all God's children. I have all kinds of exciting things happening. And instead of feeling like, holy shit, I'm back. I never thought this would be back. I didn't know what my life was going to be like. And I'm back and things are happening and I'm putting out projects and my dry bar special is coming out and like, you know, things are going okay comedy wise. And instead of going like, instead of that feeling like the roaring 20s for me, instead of feeling like that's a party, like I'm just going to enjoy it this time. I'm like, uh, okay. So I'm calling myself out a little bit. Don't get me wrong. I've been loving doing comedy, but it's still like, I should be spinning plates. And now it's time for Gabriel's comment of the week. This comment was left on Gabriel's TikTok video. Tiffany writes, the clap, his gonorrhea. So I played this clip a few episodes ago that this comment is about. Maybe, should I play it again? I guess it's quick. I'll play it again. We, uh, my wife and I have been together since we were 19 years old. Uh, I would thank you. Appreciate that. I'm going to call her after the show and be like, we got two woos and a clap. If you see the STD is half full. That sounds, that sounds like a guy trying to break the news to his lady. First of all, the clap's a lot better than a lot of things that could have happened. So, let's get that out of the way right now. You know what, before we get into it, let's talk about the things I don't have first. AIDS, negative. Syphilis, nope. Gonorrhea, not, a, not even close. Chlamydia, got me. Uh... So, my whole life, not that it came up a lot, but my whole life, I thought the clap referred to chlamydia, as in clapmidia. 
Gonorrhea? Shouldn't that be the gone? The Rhea? That commenter is correct. If I was ever on Jeopardy and there was STDs as a category, I would have not done well. I would have said, what is chlamydia? And they would have said, no, I'm sorry. Gonorrhea is what you were looking for, which isn't a sentence normally said. I googled it. Uh, the clap, the best I can tell, refers to the French word for brothel, which is clapier. That's what French is, a regular word with at the end. Right now I'm driving a Kia. So it's like a brothel reference. That's why gonorrhea is the clap. Which means I owe, uh, I owe some people some phone calls. I have to call them back and be like, look, the good news is I didn't expose you to chlamydia. You don't even need to worry about it. The bad news is you might have gonorrhea. Yep, the rhea, the gone, you might have it. I'm sorry.